When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to a special late night Eastern time slash early morning Central European time edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This will be another mini-pod to preview our match against Lecce on Saturday, which is today if you've managed to listen to this before the match. I know I cut it close once again. If you're listening to this after the match, that's perfectly fine too. Feel free to let me know how I did. Maybe you can troll me after Lecce trounced Napoli 5-0, which is a little bit of foreshadowing there. But anyhow, let's get right into the preview. Lecce are off to a fantastic start to the season. They're currently sitting 6th in the table, tied with us and Fiorentina on 11 points. They opened the season in incredible fashion, coming from behind to beat Lazio 2-1. That was a really wild game. Lazio had a couple of chances to put the match away, and they didn't take them. Felipe Anderson had a free shot from the edge of the area, and he missed the target. Ciro Immobile had a similar chance later on, but Falcone got just enough of the ball for it to hit the upright and stay out. That gave Lecce the opportunity to get back into it, which they did in the 85th minute. With how Lecce were attacking to that point, the goal was fully deserved, and then remarkably, they scored the match-winning goal only two minutes later. Their next match against Fiorentina followed a similar script. Fiorentina opened the scoring only minutes into the match. Nico Gonzalez headed in from a corner kick. Alfred Duncan doubled the Viola's lead about midway through the half and could have ended the game just before the break, but like Immobile, he struck the upright. Hamza Rafia scored a stunner shortly after the start of the second half, and Nikola Kristovic scored his first of the season to equalize. 
After taking four points from matches against Lazio and Fiorentina, you would think Salernitana would be a walk in the park, but actually it was not. In fact, though the result was the same, the performance in a way was the opposite to the first two matches. Lecce were the better side in the first half with Kristovic opening the scoring only six minutes in. Lamek Banda and Kristovic both had decent chances in the first half as well to double the lead, but they didn't take them. Lecce were fortunate to not concede. Antonio Candreva was stopped by Falcone from point-blank range in the dying minutes of the first half. Jovan Cabral was the latest Lecce opponent to hit the upright, though credit to Falcone for getting a hand on that shot as well. Cabral had another much easier chance late in the match that he skied over the bar, so Salernitana had their chances, but Lecce put it away with a stoppage time penalty kick. Lecce started even quicker against Monza in their next match, earning a penalty kick in the opening minute of the match. Kristovic took that penalty with great conviction. He picked the top corner beautifully. Andrea Colpani finished off a lovely Monza attack to equalize midway through the first half. Then the match took a bad turn for Lecce. In the 54th minute, Federico Baschirotto was shown a straight red for a studs-up challenge on Lorenzo Colombo. The next 20 minutes or so were all Monza who did just about everything but finish. Midway through the second half, Dani Mota had two shots from around the penalty spot. The first was stopped by Falcone, who's been very good this season, and the second one missed the target. A couple of minutes later, a Monza cross bounced off the top of the bar, and then yet another chance for Dani Mota. This time was cleared off the line. Andrea Carboni scored on the rebound with a lovely overhead kick, but a VAR review showed that Carboni was in an offside position on Mota's first effort. That was actually pretty harsh because Antonino Gallo would have played Carboni onside had he not wandered off the pitch, which is a bit of a weird rule. Even after Monza had a player of their own sent off, they nearly stole the match in stoppage time, but Roberto Gagliardini's header into the ground bounced up and over the bar. And that match finished as a draw as well. After having a player sent off against Monza, the tables were turned in the following match against Genoa. Aaron Cadicol got himself sent off for a late foul on Patrick Almquist, having already been cautioned. But even with an extra man, Lecce struggled to create much other than the occasional shot from distance. Fortunately for Lecce, one of those shots from outside of the area from Remy Udin took a fortuitous deflection off of Morten Frendrup and ended up in the back of the goal, and that turned out to be the only goal of the match. Finally, Lecce suffered a 1-0 defeat to Juventus on Tuesday in what was easily the most boring match of the round. It was actually a very disappointing performance from Lecce. Even though they had a lot of the ball, they managed only one shot attempt over the entire match and it did not hit the target, so their XG was only 0.1 for the entire match. And yet, they probably still deserve the point from that match because Juve created so little in the attack as well. Their XG was 1.4, but they basically had only two chances. The reason their XG was that high in the first place was because the second of the two chances was basically a tap-in for Arkadouj Milik on the goal line. Now, in Lecce's defense, they did make five changes to the squad they fielded against Genoa because of the midweek fixture, which definitely could have disrupted their rhythm in attack. It was quite clear that their intent was to rest some of the regular starters and hope to steal a point at the Allianz. Now, that's not great news for us because I suspect returning to the Via del Mare, Lecce will return to their usual starting eleven 
for their match against Napoli. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Roberto De Versa will line up in his usual 4-3-3 formation with Vladimiro Falcone in goal. Federico Basquirotto and Marin Pongracic are the preferred options at center back. Patrick Dorgu started at left back against Juventus. He's a really exciting player. He's only 18 years of age. He was part of the Lecce team that won the Campionato Primavera last season. However, I do not expect him to start. I suspect he only played midweek to allow Antonino Gallo to recover ahead of the Napoli match. Likewise, I expect Valentin Jandre to return to the starting 11 after Lorenzo Venuti played from the first minute against Juventus. We're definitely going to see some changes in the midfield. Daversa's preferred midfield three is Iber Ramadani in the Regista role with Mohamed Kaba to his left and Hamza Rafia to his right. Kaba won't play as he picked up two yellow cards in the final five minutes plus stoppage time against Juventus. The second yellow was a really harsh decision and probably would have been overturned if VAR could look at yellow cards, but it cannot. Daversa has a couple of options to replace Kaba, though. One is Alexis Blanc, who started against Juve. Blanc is actually a holding midfielder, so I wouldn't be surprised either if he started over Ramadani in the number six spot. Ramadani has played every minute of every match for Lecce so far this season, including their Coppa Italia match against Como. Another alternative to Kaba is Joan Gonzalez. He was really good last season, and he started against Lazio and Fiorentina, which were both very positive results, but for whatever reason, he hasn't started since. He made an appearance off the bench against Salernitana, and then he remained on the bench against Monza, Genoa, and Juventus. Finally, we could see Remy Udan play in that role. He scored the winner against Genoa and played just over an hour against Juventus. I'm tempted to say that we'll see Blam move to Regista and play behind Udin and Rafia, but I'll play it safe and say we'll see Ramadani again at Regista. It's hard to assume that he won't play given that he's played every single minute, and then I have him playing with Udin and Rafia as the attacking midfielders. Up top, the front three pretty much picks itself. Patrick Almquist has to start on the right wing, and Nikola Kristovic has to start at striker. Lamek Banda is the preferred starter on the left wing, but he is currently recovering from a hamstring injury. Gabriel Strefetz has not only started in Banda's place, but he also wore the captain's armband in the process. For Napoli, Rudy Garcia will also play with a 4-3-3 formation, with Alex Meret starting again in goal. I'm not expecting any changes to the back four, with Amir Rachmani and Juan Jesus still injured. Leo Ostegard and Nathan should start again at center back. Luigi Davino has been called up from the Primavera, but the only way he gets into this match is if we have, at minimum, a three-goal lead, and I don't even think he would get into that match in that scenario. Now, not that you ever want injuries, especially to a player like Rachmani, but given the schedule, these injuries might have been a bit of a blessing in disguise. We've been dying to see Ostagard and Natan play for some time now, and they're finally getting some meaningful minutes which can only benefit them in terms of their development. Obviously, when Rachmani recovers, he'll go straight back into the starting 11. But my hope is that with these performances, Garcia will have the confidence to play Ostegard a bit more regularly, which will then allow Rachmani the occasional rest. The one position at the back that is up for grabs is left back. However, given the performance he put in against Udinese, which Garcia acknowledged after the match, 
I think Mario Rui just has to start at left back. And then maybe Oliveira plays against Real Madrid midweek because he is the more physical, or at least has the more size between the two players. And of course, Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start, as he always does, at right back. The midfield is a little bit tricky to predict, and Gisa, Lobotka, and Zielinski have all played a ton of minutes, but they're all so difficult to take out of the squad. The last thing you want to do is rest guys for Real Madrid, only to drop points against the Lecce. Therefore, I'm a little bit torn about what we should do here. One option is to roll with the same three guys, hope we get a two or three goal lead, then make some changes around the hour mark to rest them for Real Madrid. The problem with that is, if we don't have a lead or if we only have a one goal lead, then we probably have to leave them in longer and they end up being tired for Real Madrid. An alternative is to rest one or two of those players and then if we need to score, either because the match is level or worse because we're losing, then bring them in off the bench to help score some goals. Now, there has been some speculation that Jesper Lindstrom could start over Angisa in the midfield. I like the idea of resting Angisa, but I would much rather see Jens Cayusta start in that role than Lindstrom because I think Cayusta is more similar to Angisa in terms of his qualities and Lindstrom is probably better suited to play at the right wing. So I'm going to go with Lobotka and the Regista with Zielinski to his left and Cayusta to his right. Now, the front three is a little bit more predictable. Cavada played 83 minutes against Udinese, but he had such a good match that I think we have to build off of that momentum and play him again here. My expectation is that he starts this match, but we replace him with either Elmas or Aspadori around the hour mark so that he is still somewhat fresh for Real Madrid. Matteo Politano played just over an hour against Udinese, so I'm torn about whether he will play this one. I'm tempted to say that Lindstrom will start on the right, but I don't think it makes sense to change both Angisa and Politano since they both generally play on the same side. Thus, I will go with Politano to start again, and like Cavada, I expect him to be replaced around the hour mark. Finally, with Victor Osimhen coming off relatively early against Udinese as well, and given how the match against Udinese helped settle everything down after a very dramatic week, I think we'll see Osiman start again against Lecce. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our keys to the match. I have only two keys to the match, but each of them are actually comprised of multiple things that we need to do to win this game. My first key to the match is to win each phase of the match. And by phases of the match, I mean the start, the middle, and the end. So the time phases, if you will. Now, that may seem like an obvious statement. I'm basically saying we need to dominate the match, and obviously the team who dominates the match is likely to win it. But I've split the match in this way because of how I'm expecting Lecce to approach this match, given their play so far this season, and given the specific circumstances surrounding this match. So let's start with the first phase. Let's call it the first 20 to 30 minutes or so. I'm expecting Lecce to start this match with a lot of energy for a couple of reasons. First, they'll be motivated by the fans at the Stadio Ettore Giardiniero, better known as the Via del Mare. This is a battle between two southern clubs, so I'm sure the crowd will be a little extra feisty. In reality, Napoli is a decent ways away from Lecce, which is right at the heel of Italy. It's about a four-hour drive, but nevertheless, the Lecce Tifosi will be fully behind their team after they just suffered their first loss of the season. 
Even though Lecce were quite negative on the whole against Juventus, they actually pressed well in the early stages of the match, and they counter-pressed when they lost the ball. Thus, to win this first phase of the match, we'll have to play through that press and counter-press. That's a little bit concerning for me. While I was encouraged by the patterns of play against Udinese, they didn't really pressure us much. We had a ton of time to move the ball, which made life relatively easy for our two young center backs. So far, Nathan seems very composed on the ball, so I'm actually less concerned about him as I am about Ostegard. Ostegard is more likely to panic, which means he's more likely to make a mistake. Even if he plays it safe and just launches the ball forward, I can still see that putting a lot of pressure on our midfielders and our defense. Sure, we have Osimhen to chase those balls down, which is huge. Even if he just wins a throw-in at midfield or in the Lecce half, that shifts our entire position up the field. However, clubs have adapted and are quite content to leave both central defenders back to Mark Osimhen. So with some of those long balls going forward, we could give the ball straight back to Lecce and invite them to come forward again, which is going to tire out our midfield and our defense. Thus, for me, winning this first phase is really about not conceding. If we can get through that first 20 to 30 minutes of the match without conceding a goal, then Lecce will have burned off the adrenaline, and then we can take control of the match. The second phase, or the middle phase of the match, I would say is between the midway point of the first half and the midway point of the second half. This is the phase where we need to score our goals, and we need to score as many goals as we can. As Lecce have already demonstrated against some pretty good clubs, a one-goal lead is certainly not safe, and even a two-goal lead may not be safe. At the same time, while we're seeking a goal, we need to be mindful of Lecce's attack. I'll talk about some of the players to keep an eye on in a bit, but Lecce definitely have the quality to get forward and exploit the space in the midfield. They also have some high-quality finishers, so while we are seeking our goals, we have to be careful not to concede at the other end. Almost the opposite of the first phase, merely winning this phase, say 1-0 or 2-1, may not be enough to win this match. That brings us to the final phase, which is the last 20-30 to 30 minutes. Now, the key for me to this phase is to maintain possession to keep control of the run of play. The last thing we want to do, assuming we have a lead, is drop back and defend like we did against Braga. Lecce have shown a capacity to come from behind, even very, very late in matches. Meanwhile, they do not concede many goals in the second half. The goal that Juve scored was actually the first goal Lecce have conceded in the second half all season. Going back to that middle phase, that means we'll probably want to steal a goal in the first phase, and we definitely need to score in the second part of the first half, if that makes sense. So just to recap, in the first 20 to 30 minutes, we need to make sure that we don't concede, and ideally, it'd be great if we could score a goal ourselves. In the middle 45 minutes, we need to add a second goal, likely before the break, or score twice if we didn't already score in the opening half hour or so. And in the last 20 to 30 minutes, we want to keep the ball and control the tempo of the match. And by doing that, we should be able to prevent Lecce from scoring on us. And if we do all of those things, then I think we will win this match.
My second key to the match is to watch out for a few key players in the Lecce attack. The obvious one is their young Montenegrin striker Nikola Kristovic. He has very quickly taken over the starting striker role and it doesn't seem like he is going to relinquish it anytime soon. He already has three goals on the season. The first two were with his head so he is certainly an aerial threat. Thankfully with Ostegaard and Natan we're well equipped to defend the cross. It's the low balls into the area that we need to be mindful of. Another player we have to watch out for is Pontus Almquist. He is going to play very direct on that Lecce right wing and he has a very good left foot so we need to be mindful of the cut inwards a la Matteo Politano. Almquist already has two goals and an assist to his name so I think Lecce will have a greater attacking threat from the right wing than they will from the left with Strefezza. Thankfully, Lamek Banda is not playing otherwise. This Lecce attack would look really scary. Finally, we need to keep an eye on midfielder Remy Udin, who joined Lecce from Bordeaux last season, assuming he starts. He's actually listed as a right winger on transfer marked, which might explain his attacking prowess. Heading into the Juve match, he had scored four goals in his previous five Serie A matches. He scored twice against Lazio last season, he scored in the season finale against Bologna in April and then he scored in his 23-24 debut against Genoa. So collectively, those three players have scored five out of Lecce's eight goals this season, which suggests that if we can stop those three players, we should be in a good position to keep a clean sheet. For my prediction, I am going to go with a 2-0 victory once again, and I will give the goals to Cavada and Osimen. I think our two star boys are going to carry that momentum from the Udinese match into this one. Cavada was excellent in that game and Osi is just so reliable even when he clearly had some off the field distractions to deal with. Meanwhile, as great of a story as Lecce have been so far this season, the statistics suggest that what they're doing is just not sustainable and perhaps that loss to Juventus was the start of a regression to the mean. Their season total XG is 5.3 which is 14th in the league yet they've scored 8 goals, so they've outperformed their XG by 2.7 goals. Similarly, their XGA is 7.9, which is also 14th in the league, yet they've conceded only 5 goals, so they've outperformed their XGA by 2.9 goals. If you put those two statistics together, their XGD, their expected goal difference, is minus 2.6, but their actual goal difference is plus 3, so only 6 matches into the season, and they've already outperformed their expected goal difference by nearly 6 goals. I didn't have time to check the numbers for every team, but they have to be up there in terms of teams outperforming their XGD. I'd guess that they're outperforming their XGD more than any other team that they're top of that list. Just look at their results. They beat Lazio 2-1, but the XGs were fairly close, 1.4 to 1.6. They drew Fiorentina 2-2. But Fiorentina's XG was 1.3 to Lecce's 0.3. The one match where the actual score was consistent with the XG score was the Salernitana match, where Lecce's XG was 1.7 to Salernitana's 1.1. But even in that match, Lecce's XG would have been driven up by that late stoppage time penalty kick. Then they tied Monza 1-1, but Monza's XG was 2.2 to Lecce's 0.9. Now granted, they did get a red card in that match, so that would have affected the XG score. 
They beat Genoa 1-0 with an XG of 0.9 to 0.3. So that's another fair result. But Genoa were showed a red card in that one. And finally, they lost to Juventus 1-0 when the XG score was 1.4 to 0.1 for Juve. So even if we put aside the penalty and the red cards and just assume that the results went the way of the XG, Lecce would actually be on 7 points, which would put them somewhere in the bottom half of the table. A whole bunch of teams are tied on 7 points, but it'd be pretty consistent with that 14th place position for XG and XGA. Now, I don't fault them for that. In fact, Napoli significantly outperformed their XG last season, and we were quite happy about that. But at some point, you would expect that this Lecce team, with the squad that they have, with all due respect to them, will come back down to earth at some point. And my hope is that that process began with the defeat to Juventus. Okay, that is where I will leave it. I hope you enjoyed this preview. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating and or a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on the website at forzanapolipress.com. And thank you so much to all of our wonderful patrons who continue to support the show. I don't say it enough, but I really do appreciate all of the support. I will be back again in a couple of days to review this match and to preview our big Champions League match against Real Madrid. Also, if you didn't catch the simulcast I did with Rafa Rispo of the Napoli rant, be sure to check that out as well. Most likely, Rafa and I will be back on Wednesday or Thursday to do another Insta Live, so keep an eye out for that as well. But until then... I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Sports Social Podcast Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.